Thank you for pressing start on episode six of Underplayed, KZUM's indie video game podcast. Today, we have a couple of secret games to review, followed by a cooperative look at this episode's featured game, Hades. I'm Bo Poe, and joining me is my player two, Disco Cola. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Bo Poe. This is going to be such a great show, yo. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here on Underplayed, we review indie games of all kinds, the games with small budgets but big hearts, the lesser-known experiences with imaginative ideas. Let's begin this episode with our secret games. Secret games. Secret games. I know you're playing without me. Secret games. Well, I'm here to tell you, baby. Secret games. I've been playing too. Secret games. Secret games is our segment where we each review one indie game we've been playing in secret since our last episode. We do not discuss our picks in advance, keeping them a surprise for this very moment. Any indie game can be chosen as long as it hasn't been reviewed on the podcast before. We're only episode uh, six here, so we aren't that far along. The landscape for possibilities here is very wide. Still vast. Yes, yes. Very, very vast. So we'll start with you, Disco Cola. Let the mystery be no more. Reveal your secret game for episode six of Underplayed. All right. Well, at the beginning of this segment, we send uh, a trailer to the co-host. So I've just sent you the trailer for my secret game. And for this episode, it is Supergiant's Transistor. Oh, I love it. I love it. So I'm, I'm a big fan of trying to find uh, other indie games that synergize with the cooperative review game and uh, seemed totally fitting to be playing another Supergiant game that's been sitting on my shelf for a couple years now and I haven't even touched it, so... This is a game that went on sale at Limited Run Games soon after I discovered them. And for those unfamiliar, that is a company that prints indie games, smaller games, you know, stuff that doesn't normally get, you know, main retail release and releases them physically. And I'm a big uh, physical media gamer. Uh, This game follows Red, a singer in her late 20s, and her giant talking sword-shaped thingy called a transistor. Uh, The game opens with you pulling the transistor out of a now-deceased young man. Uh, We learn pretty quickly that Red's voice has also been taken from her, so imagine, you know, a famous singer uh, with no voice. Um, And so because of that, the the transistor uh, acts as the main source of, like, exposition and guidance throughout the game, even sort of serving, like, a narrative role in some cases. Uh, The goal of the game is to make your way through robotic entities known as the Process. You fight a lot of them uh, in the mostly evacuated city of Cloudbank. The destination is a confrontation with a group of four individuals called the Camerata. Along the way, you encounter Process as well as Trace Data. And Trace Data is consciousness of deceased citizens of Cloudbank, typically like citizens of, of particular note. You know, these include a notable scientist, a, a famous detective, or uh, a famous athlete. Um, and these pieces of trace data become functions for your transistor, or in other words, they become uh, like moves for you to use in battle against the process. 
The gameplay introduces a mixed tactic strategy and real-time combat playstyle, which um, sounds weird to to introduce something that is typically turn-based with something that is real-time. Um, so similar to something like Mega Man Battle Network, you have like a little bar that fills up over time, and this is called Turn. Turn, once full, freezes time momentarily and allows you to uh, set a series of functions for battle against the process. Um, while using turn, you're only allowed a set amount of functionability. So like walking around has a cost, each function has a cost. So you have to plan your best moves to to maximize your efficiency for defeating uh, this set of process. Um, you also have to plan to evade damage for yourself. Getting a game over is pretty like forgiving, honestly, in this game. However damage does still get you a significant punishment. So if your life bar is totally depleted, you lose one of your four equipped uh, functions randomly. Uh, once depleted, your life fill is refilled to a degree afterwards, but now you only have the three of your four functions for the rest of the encounter. Additionally, that function is lost to you until you visit like the, the power-up station a number of times. Um, so this... This forces you to like re-strategize not only in that battle, but with battles yet to come, um, because you may have lost, you know, your access to your favorite move. So you have to replan your playstyle. Uh, Transistor excels in most facets of a game, like all super giant games. It seems uh, this features incredible art. Not only is the art uh, incredible, but the aesthetic is very appealing. Um, it kind of features a blend of the American Roaring Twenties attire and sci-fi futuristic setting pieces. Processes are varied and indicative of their attack style, many of which are uh, decked out in like a sterile white full of curves kind of thing. Mid-2000s Apple products sort of visual. The method of exposition is varied and organic, um, you play as a character that can't talk, but the transistor's passive comments convey emotion enough for the two of them, interactions and communications uh, with information terminals around CloudBank give you a history of the city through news reports and bulletins, uh, and even voting polls. You get a little bit of world building through that. The gameplay is easy to learn, hard to master. Um, this allows for a significant level of satisfaction every time you, you get through a battle with a new function or you use an old function in a new way. While there aren't collectibles in the traditional sense, the items and abilities that you do collect um, can be upgraded and create uh, greater depth to characters and world building. Uh, so this adds a little bit of a better reward to what is essentially grinding. Music from Darren Korb uh, fits the world beautifully and is worth a listen outside the game. Um, Thanks to playing as a singer in Red, we are also treated to some of her songs in the soundtrack with some really incredible vocals from Ashley Barrett. The game is not without its problems. I think the game could use a run button, but that's pretty much it. You know, maybe a little bit more variety in process types. Uh, so in the end, I want to give Transistor an 8.5 out of 10. Wow. I really had a lot of fun playing the game. I'm excited to get back into it and do all the trophy cleanup. Uh, and I'm really not dreading that. Um, traveling longer hallways or searching corners got a little bit daunting just because of the slow movement speed. Um, occasionally, the isometric view of the game made like elevation perspective difficult to discern. 
Uh, but this game excels in so many ways and is quickly putting Supergiant as one of my favorite developers. Wow. And Supergiant's only developed four well-known four, games. Four, yeah. Um, so starting with Bastion and then um, this game, Transistor, Pyre, and then our featured review today, Hades. Yeah. The first game I played of theirs was Bastion around the time when it released. Really liked Bastion a lot. Um, you know, I just recently made a top 100 favorite games list, and I put Bastion in that list. This was before I played Hades. And um, Transistor's not in that list for me, but I nonetheless really was interested in playing Transistor around the time when it came out. This is a 2014 game, uh, by the way, if we haven't mentioned that. So I did play this probably around 2015, 2016. So it's been a good number of years, but a lot of what you're saying is coming back to me. Um, I remember the functions and the combination almost endless combinations of using all the functions and how just swapping in one different function can fundamentally change things, mm -hmm. change how combat goes, change how um, you approach the gameplay, which is really cool because it makes you want to experiment. So I remember doing that a lot with Transistor. That's something I really respect about their games is they give you tools, um, Supergiant that is, give you tools to uh, mess around with different combinations of things and see you know, what sticks. And uh, I think that's super cool. You picked this game. It has great synergy with Hades. Absolutely. So I played Transistor with uh, the limited run games release on PS4. It's also available on Switch, Windows, Linux, OS X, somehow iOS, and tvOS as well. <laughs> uh, that'd be interesting to play it on an iPhone. I don't know if I would enjoy that experience as much as... Uh, I think I played it on PC, you know, back in 2015 or so. But uh, yeah, that's Transistor. It's Disco Cola's secret game here on episode six of Underplayed. It's time for my secret game. My secret game is called Super One More Jump. Oh, I have never once heard of that. This is a game that was uh, released in 2018. It's a 2D arcade platformer uh, developed by Primo Games and SMG Studio. Uh, you can play this on Switch. Android and iOS devices. I played this on Nintendo Switch. Um, so in this arcade platformer, uh, you have automated horizontal movement and players navigate all these bite-sized levels using just one button to control jumps. You can jump up, you can jump uh, down, and sometimes you can jump around platforms with orbiting gravity. So this was originally a mobile game when it was first released with one-touch controls, and it was designed to be a landscape game on mobile. So you'd I actually experimented with this game on my phone real quick, downloaded it the other day just to see how the experience compares to Switch, and I can confirm it is a, a landscape game. So it translates really well to the Switch screen, which is you know more of a landscape look. And the one-touch controls on phone, I think I would have probably had a difficult time with, um, but on Switch, I was able to use like that tactile button on the face on one of the Joy-Cons. So I, I really enjoyed playing this on the Switch just for that reason. But Super One More Jump starts fairly simply. Um, it requires you to jump over these small gaps and you're switching between the floor and ceiling. So when you are approaching the end of a, a platform, you're about to hit the end. If you hit the end, you die. You have to restart the level. But there's a platform above you. So you learn very quickly that you need to jump and you'll attach to the ceiling of that platform. And then you need to do the opposite. You need to jump back down to the third platform and so on. And sometimes you need to jump across, you know, short gaps. Then it kind of just ramps up from there, adding all kinds of 
different mechanics and kinds of platforms that it throws at you. So you play as a little avatar. It's a little kind of square shaped dude. It can be any number of skins that you buy using collectibles. And the avatar, like I said, will also orbit around platforms if there are no platforms to jump to. And so sometimes you need to do almost like a Super Mario Galaxy kind of orbit move around the platform you're jumping from, um, which can really shift how you look at levels and how you're kind of sight reading the levels as you're going along. Um, The game has eight sets of 12 levels for a total of 96. Um, In each set of levels, there are new mechanics introduced or the difficulty increases in some way. Um, So there are switches that reverse your movement direction, platforms that boost your jump higher, Um, Sometimes you're required to jump from a horizontal platform to a vertical platform, and then you're moving upwards along the level. Um, Additionally, once beaten, each level has all these other modes that increase difficulty. So you can choose to replay levels in mirrored mode where everything's flipped. You can do dark mode where much of the level is obscured in darkness and you can just see a small um, radius around yourself. And then there's rotating mode which is where you play the level normally, but the entire level is rotating while you're jumping within it. And it's super disorienting, very manageable in like the first set of levels, but by the end when it gets exponentially harder, um, yeah, I do not advise playing that way. I, I don't think I even tried it in some of the later levels just because I knew rotating mode would be so difficult. Um, but the game tests your reflexes, concentration and patience, Some levels do take dozens, if not hundreds of attempts to pass because there are no checkpoints in any of these levels. They're very short levels. Um, Sometimes they can last like, it seems like a minute or longer, Um, but you do need to get through them perfectly, which is pretty harsh. Uh, So your enjoyment of the game is really dependent on your tolerance for repetition. Um, But practicing a level over and over and then finally overcoming it and beating it was really satisfying to me. Um, Muscle memory becomes important. You start to memorize the first half of levels and then you get to a point where like, oh, I've never been this far before. And then you get a platform farther than you've ever been. And then you die and then you get back to that point and maybe you make another platform and then you realize, oh, I, I didn't react fast enough. I should have done this. And so you start to chip away at the levels through that muscle memory and through that recognition of what you have to do by the time you get farther along. Um, Each level also has those um, collectibles I mentioned uh, that are used to buy new avatar skins. They're kind of like diamonds and they're they're optional. A lot of them require you to kind of go out of your way uh, to get them, maybe make an extra jump up to an optional platform. And collecting all three means you mastered the level. So it's an extra layer there for completionists who want to do everything this game has to offer. Um, The level skins can be changed. Um, They're each designed by a different artist, so you can change the art direction of all the levels you're playing in. Each of the sets of 12 levels that make up this game don't have predetermined art. You pick a skin, and you can choose to play the same skin for all 96 levels, or you can change as you go along. You can have it randomize each level or each time you die. Um, I, I found myself sticking to skins where the colors contrasted really well, and I could tell where certain platforms were. Um, Some of them aren't so distinct. Uh, There's a lot of like 
ones that have kind of muddier colors where things are a little bit more um, abstract and obscured. Um, and then there's there's additional modes too, just beyond the normal, you know, quote unquote story mode. There's an endless mode where you start a level and it's completely randomized and it just goes on and on and you see how long you can last. So there's um, additional modes as well that can occupy your time. So I found Super One More Jump to be um, a great time for getting really small doses of fun while still feeling like I was making progress and accomplishing something. Um, the one button style of gameplay is very accessible. You instantly understand how the game works and the game doesn't need to show you any sort of tutorial. You just start playing. Um, but it's still challenging enough that I couldn't blow through the game. I had to practice to get better, especially on the later levels. Like I'd say around like level, I don't know, 40, uh, 30 or 40, you know, out of 96, I, I was really just repeating levels dozens of times. So, um, it really gets tough. Um, it has this just one more try aspect to it that, um, you know, you'll try a level and you'll say like, this is the last attempt. I promise, you know, you make this promise <laughs> to yourself and then 45 minutes go by and you're still playing the game, um, before you realize it. So it's a very simple game. It's done very well. It can be enjoyed by almost anyone. So, I give Super One More Jump an eight out of ten. Wow! Yeah, yeah, that's a I, super high score for what basically starts out as a mobile game. Yeah, and I think I when I hear mobile game, I um, I have this this certain uh, connotation that I have. I think there. I think most um, of us do. Yeah, yeah, but I think the fact that this made the <laughs> pun intended jump to switch means that they saw something special with this game. I think it translates super well to a handheld device like the Nintendo Switch. It also works super well if you have your Switch docked and you're playing it on a screen. Um, there's a co-op mode or um, kind of a competitive mode that I didn't get to try with this that I think would be fun. It's just super simple arcade action platforming that's just very polished. And I, I grade this game kind of based on what it is and what it's trying to do. You know what I mean? So I look at this game and I see, okay, it's trying to do something simple. It's not trying to tell this grand story. And so I have to think about what I want to score it within those boundaries. I see. What so when I'm, when I'm looking at this game, I'm thinking this is a 2D arcade platformer with a very simple controls that's very accessible, that's instantly understandable, um, that makes me want to keep playing even long after I should go to bed or should go do my next you know task in life. So yeah, that's undeniable to me. So I have to give it an eight. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at this and and I'm impressed one with all the like various art styles that the levels can come in. You know, I would have expected something like this to just be one consistent, you know, basic style. Um, even some of the backgrounds are really fascinating, and the physics looks really well designed. I'm thinking of like a Super Meat Boy kind of a kind of physics engine going on yes. here so it's it, it that is a great comparison um actually the sequel to super meat boy super meat boy forever is actually very similar to this game from what i've observed that's kind of an auto runner too um it does seem like it's it's the simplest game to control but man it's a lot of it's about rhythm a lot of it's about timing a lot of it's just kind of trying over and over again until you finally succeed. So if you enjoy that kind of thing, you might like Super One More Jump. Yeah. So those are our secret games, Transistor and Super One More Jump. Let's move on to our featured review of Hades, Disco Cola. I'm 
ready for it. I think. Oh man, there's a lot to lot to say. So Hades, it's a 2020 roguelike dungeon crawler where players control Zagreus, the prince of the Greek underworld and son of Hades, the god of the dead. Unsatisfied with his fate to spend eternity in his father's realm, Zagreus attempts to escape and reach Mount Olympus. Along the way, players fight through hordes of enemies with hack and slash combat, receiving assistance and bits of narrative from Greek gods and underworld residents. So Disco Cola, this is a this is a big title here that we're that we're taking on. <laughs> Much um, bigger than I anticipated. Yes. There's a lot of ways you can interpret that word big. Yeah. Uh, but it's been a highly lauded game for over a year as of the recording of this episode. Uh, it was recognized by many gaming publications as game of the year for 2020. It won the highest praise at industry events like the GDC and Dice Awards. Action and roguelike fans all over consider this game to be one of the best of those genres. So my question for you to start us off here, do you agree with Hades' seemingly ubiquitous praise. And what are your overall thoughts on the game? Yes. Okay. That'll do for this episode <laughs> of Underplay. No, I totally get it. And I'll I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna build to that. But um yeah. This game, I, I knew that the movement mechanics were gonna be good, and I was interested in this game because of that. It reminds me of one of my favorites. I'm gonna mention it over and over, Hyperlight Drifter. Um you know, the movement immediately reminded me of that because of the dash and slash mechanic. Um, but the movement is excellent, uh, even when you're using unlikable weapons. And there are weapons in this game that I hate. Uh, even when I'm forced to use those, the movement mechanics make that much more bearable. Um, there's a great number of enemy types with uh, variations on those enemy types, like You'll run into a skeleton and he'll glow blue and he'll attack differently than a skeleton that that glows red. Um, same with like archers that share a body type with like shield bearers. Um, dialogue. Dialogue is great and it is extensive. Like I don't think I heard a single thing repeated in that entire time that I played except for maybe when Zagreus was trying to guess what fury was coming up. Voice acting is top-notch. Um, toward the end of my playthrough, though, I did have to start cutting people off, and I'll go into that in a little bit. Um, I think Zagreus is a great character. He has depth. He interacts with different characters uh, in different ways, the same way a real person would interact with so many different personalities. Um, and in the wider world of all the different characters, their demeanors change over time as your interactions play out with them gosh there's just there's so much there's so much stuff to unlock like there's so many collectibles in this game um it's also one of its downsides though it's it's too much it's so much um and there are so many different like currencies to use to get to those unlockables that it's hard to kind of keep track of like the exchange rate and how much of this you need to get so that you can exchange it for this so that you can exchange it for that um, another thing that I didn't like as much, certain menus aren't totally clear, like what you need to do with them or like the extent to what you can do with them. For example, the mirror has a lot of like permanent upgrade abilities. Um, but what I didn't know until like after my fifth encounter with Hades is that the left side of the mirror, you can swap them to a, a, a parallel ability. And I didn't know about that. Um, and like the display function that we talked about off the air 
I didn't know what was going on with there. I just paused one time and was like clicking my little yellow circle on my my build. And I didn't understand what was happening with that. So yeah, I mean, it's an incredible game. Uh, do you want me to, to, to give it my rating? Give it your rating, man. I want to give this game a 9.5 out of 10. Holy I think this moly. game, I think this game is incredible. The only, the two downsides I talked about are some of the only things I don't like. I'll, I'll talk about. <laughs> I thought for a second there you're going to go full 10, which no, is totally okay to do. It is. But... I there's yeah. It's just it's a little bit too big for me as a completionist. That I think is the one thing that keeps it from being a 10. Um. One of the things that that helped and also hurt in playing Hades was that I was playing it on a deadline. Yes. So doing that helped in the sense that I was able to beat it probably a lot faster. Yeah, you probably did more in the last two weeks since we recorded our previous episode than you normally would have. But this game almost requires maybe months of at least casual playing to see everything. It seems like. exactly yeah. if, if we wouldn't have been playing on a deadline, I would have been on a lot more detours. Yes. Exploring a lot more things. Um, so it helped me beat it a lot faster, but it also hurt because as I was getting to the end there, you know, I was playing the game last night. I was fighting Theseus and, and talking to Nyx and I was like, okay, I'm sorry. I have to cut you off. I have to get to Hades. I have yes. to, I have to fight. Totally understand that. I started, um, I did the same thing. I started to kind of read their dialogue in advance and like, I do appreciate their voice acting, but I did have to skip just to like save myself, you know, upwards of like 10 or 15 minutes in a single play session. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Anyway, keep going. Um, so yeah, there's a couple more things I want to cover, but I know that they'll be in conversation later. I want to talk about weapons. I want to talk about loadouts. Oh yes. Um, oh yes. There's so much to get to. Yeah. Um, I'll cover my overall thoughts here. The moment I started playing Hades, I said out loud to myself alone, oh, this is special. Um, I said this because of two reasons. So one, the game puts you into the action straight away without fluff. You just shot out of a cannon. You're doing it right away. And two, it immediately feels awesome to control Zagreus, like you said. It's fun to control Zagreus, even when you're not actively in hand-to-hand combat. He moves fluidly. He moves quickly. His dash always feels accurate. The next thing I noticed was the presentation. I soon found out each and every character has something interesting to say, especially as you're dumped into the House of Hades, which is kind of the hub where you can talk to lots of characters, you can upgrade Zagreus, you can purchase things, and you know, just talking to characters there was such a joy. The dialogue feels endless. I think I have around 20 hours of game time. In that much game time, I don't think I've heard the same line of dialogue twice. Um, except maybe for the one about the Furies that you talked about. I have the impression it will stay that way. I'm not convinced that I'll hear the same like major line of dialogue again, which is really cool. Um, the characters are performed incredibly. There's not a single bad performance in the bunch. Supergiant clearly doesn't settle when it comes to voice talent. Um, and then there's gameplay. There are so many options of things to talk about. The combat, there's a variety of weapons that are balanced, Players can rotate between attacking, using specials, casting, dashing, and calling on Greek gods. All of these things vary up how you approach combat. There's a great variety in the enemies and how they make you play. Some allow you to be aggressive. You can just get up close and whack on them. Others require you to maneuver and be patient and dodge attacks. And then there are the boons, which are at the heart of what makes this game special. Each run, you get boons from the gods. 
that are basically abilities. They determine your play style. And as you progress through the four main areas of the game, you start to improvise a build. And your success depends usually not on which boons you get, but how aware you are with synergizing them and how much you choose to use them. Uh, discovering and combining boons always felt fresh and exciting. There's so much to uncover on and unlock. Uh, like you said, it feels like you're always working towards something just like super one more jump, uh, but maybe larger scale Hades has this addicting one more run energy to it. And sometimes that turns into three more runs. Um, there was one night where I should have put the game down, but I spent not just one hour. I spent several more hours uh, doing more runs because I just wanted to get better. I wanted to unlock more features. I wanted to um, hear what this character had to say. I wanted to get more pieces to the story. I enjoy the story very much. There are tons of characters to get to know, but the main quest is very easy to follow and it allows you room to discover backstories and world building going on around you. Uh, I think also Hades has a meaningful justification about why it needs to exist as a roguelike. Okay. There are all these roguelikes I've played in the past where I feel like you could argue that this could just be an action game without this element of dying and then repeating from scratch. But here it very much fits the mythology of the subject matter. It rewards you for dying, which is really rare to say. It's an encouraging game. Like even when you die, you feel like you don't feel discouraged. You feel like you want to get back out there and do it again. Roguelikes aren't typically my kind of game, mm. but Hades is a rare exception that I think about when I'm not playing it. It's a game I love in a genre I don't. It's easily my favorite super giant game I've played. So I'm going to give it a nine out of 10. Nine out of 10. Nine out of 10. High praise all across the board tonight. Yeah. Um, this is my favorite game we've played for our featured review so far, six episodes in. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it remains as um, potentially like in my top one or two uh, for the season of, you know, 10 first episodes we're planning on doing here for Underplayed. Um, so now let's get into some further topics. We could start with story. So um, I recognized all the characters from Greek mythology. I was delighted by how this game puts twists on some of them. So like, for instance, we've all heard of Sisyphus, who rolls the boulder up the mountain endlessly, and it always rolls back down when he gets close to the top. When I learned that he was in the game, I was like, oh, that's very fitting that they put him in the game as like someone you can discover in your runs. But he is always very pleasant. Mm -hmm. He's not like, he's he doesn't have a chip on his shoulder. He He's not frustrated. He's always super nice. Uh, running into him, he gives you like a really nice reward, but he's also a friend to Zagreus. It was just always refreshing to, to bump into him. And then like, um, just little quirks characters have, like Poseidon always calls Zagreus nephew. Yeah. You know, it's like, hello, little nephew. <laughs> and um, uh, Dusa, the floating Medusa oh, head. I love Dusa. Dusa, um, she does chores around the house of Hades. She's basically a floating Medusa head. And she has this really adorable crush on Zagreus. She's the sweetest. Yeah. And every time you talk to her, she's like really <laughs> flustered and talks super quickly. And then she'll sometimes like float away. She'll just like <laughs> run away because she's so embarrassed. So I loved um, some of the new takes on a lot of these uh, mythological characters that maybe in some other works of fiction are are maybe more one-dimensional. Yeah, I was going to say very shallow. Shallow, yeah. 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 Um, so did you have a favorite character that you liked bumping into? Dusa. Dusa is easily my favorite 
um, character just in general. Uh, Achilles, great friend, great pal. Uh, love to talk to him. Um, the Minotaur, whose name escapes me at the moment. Um, there's there's a depth to him that I'm really excited to dig into a little bit more. I, yeah. I think at this point uh, during the recording, I've fought him maybe 12 times, which is not a large number of times uh, in the scope of how many times you fight people in Hades. Sure. Um, so I'm interested to learn more about him. I'm interested to learn more about like Tisiphone, yeah. uh, just because she's What's got so much mystery. Yeah. Uh, and I haven't fought her enough times to get that backstory either. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting how certain characters you're just kind of like locked out of for a while. You have to fulfill certain um, requirements before they'll even talk to you or maybe even show up in the house of Hades. Mm-hmm. So like Megara, she started showing up in the house of Hades and I was like, what are you doing here? I'm supposed to just fight you. Yeah. And now I can like give you gifts and she still hates me, but I want to get to the point where maybe she hates me at least a little less. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, so they all treat you differently. Um, you can gift them presents and they'll unlock more, you know, bits of dialogue and story. Um, so I've started to pick who I'm giving gifts to just based on who I like talking to. Mm -hmm. So like with the gods, I really like, I really like hearing from Poseidon and, um, Dionysus. So I always give those guys gifts. And then in the house of Hades, I always love giving gifts to like Dusa and Achilles. And I kind of just bounce around in there. So, um, so now the roguelike justification. I, I talked a little bit about this a moment ago. Roguelike games I haven't liked before um, just because- I hate them. You you don't like the genre, right? Yeah. So I, neither do I, I feel like. I, I There are some that I've played um, that I really do enjoy. I like, like I like them in the context of like shoot 'em ups like, like okay. shmups. You know, those are roguelikes technically, like arcade style yeah. uh, roguelikes. You know, you die, that's it, you're done you know, start over from scratch. It's okay in that context, but with like more modern games where save functions are possible, collectibles are in the game, I feel entitled to keep those. Mm-hmm. And yep. and that's a big thing for me. Yeah, so some roguelike games I haven't liked are Dead Cells, Spelunky, and FTL. Those are a couple examples of ones that I really tried to get into that I know a lot of, lo- a lot of people love. Um, there are some others though, like Returnal, Rogue Legacy. Oh my gosh, I remember being obsessed with Rogue Legacy back when it came out. Um, for Hades, I think this genre works because the game encourages death. There are those currencies that carry over between deaths that allow you to build up your character and you feel like you're making progress. That's such an encouraging thing. So like the darkness and gemstones, I always like using those. The narrative and characters build when you die. Characters will comment not only on the fact that you did die, but how you died. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is always an opportunity to get a little tidbit out of those characters again. Um, And then also the game just feels rewarding when you improvise and create a build from scratch and on the fly. So dying just gives me, I see that now as like an excuse to just try to see what boons I can roll, what Daedalus hammer enchantments I can get for my weapon that fundamentally change how it's used. So that, that prospect is always super exciting because runs, you know, they're usually not more than an hour. Um, so that repetition is just very natural there. There's also like the shops, like what, what are the shops going to offer me too? Mm -hmm. So Um, Wanted to ask you, each run, 
do you go in with a plan of like what you're going to try to prioritize as far as what uh, kinds of upgrades you're looking for? Or do you kind of go in sort of open-minded and go with the flow and just see what happens? So when you enter the room right before entering, uh, what is it? Tartarus? What's the first area? Tartarus. Tartarus. Yep. Uh, one of your weapons will be glowing and that will offer bonus currency each time. So that's sort of where I start. I pick the one that's glowing okay. and then I'm like, I make the plan based on what that weapon is. So for example, if the shield is glowing, I'm going to use the shield that run. And so I'll go over and I'll try to use Athena's pendant to try and force an encounter with her okay? because I'll want to at least start with something that has deflect. Uh, and then from there, you know, just sort of roll with the punches and and figure out what works best with what yeah. uh, is handed to me. Yeah, kind uh, of a hybrid of like, yeah, th- these are the things I can control. And then anything else, I'll just see what happens and maybe I'll be pleasantly surprised. Right, because I, I do want to like slightly push back on something you mentioned in your basic thoughts and that sometimes you can get dealt a bad hand. And I... Yeah. Incidentally, the the bad hand that I'm thinking of actually got me through the fight with Hades. So oh, interesting. I, I, I got a lot of crap, but I figured out a way to, to make it work. It's interesting you say that because I've written down some of my favorite combinations of like boons and like really cool duo abilities that I found. Um, but the very first time I cleared Hades... It was just, I had a mishmash of stuff. I didn't have a plan. I just had all this stuff that I was just throwing at him. And I I feel like I didn't really strategize that much. So I think what I meant to say is you can turn um, anything into a good run. And, you know, you can blame the game a little bit, but you can also salvage it in a way. Um, if you know what to look for, like if you're perceptive about your health and it's like, I only have 50 health, I need to start prioritizing, like finding maximum health. Um, or, you know, I'm really low on money. I want to be able to afford maybe another boon the next Mm -hmm. time I see the shopkeeper. So, um, I'm always keeping those things in mind. I find myself doing the hybrid thing where, you know, I'm trying to plan things out. I'm not completely improvising. I'm finding things and seeing what I get through the luck of the draw. Um, Wanted to ask you what kinds of fun combinations of like weapons and boons and upgrades you've okay. found. I think my absolute favorites are True Shot from Artemis, which gives your cast a homing ability and chance to critical damage. Divine Dash, I think, is a lot of people's favorites. Yes, that's the one that allows you to deflect every time you dash. And right? the, yeah, and that really came in handy with my least favorite enemy in the game, which is the Witches. Uh, happened happened to deflect a lot of shots from them which was great um i really like the dashes most of the dashes but like ones that cause status effects are helpful um the thunder dash was very good i like using poseidon for ranged moves whether it be like the spear special or the shield special um yeah, or, you, like to knock enemies in exactly. Away like and, if they're already far away, if I can push them even further away, yeah. sometimes into a wall or into lava or something. Yeah, I'm a fan of that. Um, I like a lot of Hermes stuff. Um, greater recall, quick reload, greatest reflex. So adding a dash, getting my casts back quicker, um, 
In addition to getting cast back quicker exit wounds from Artemis, which causes damage when those casts come back to you. Yeah. Awesome combination. Um, Heartrend Duo was one of my favorites that um, that adds crit damage. You to, know, to, to weakened foes. Exactly. I have that written down in my list. Uh, yes. And then Lightning Rod really got me far. I wasn't excited to have it, but once I had it, it, it really did a lot of work for me. Is that the one where it casts electricity out of gem or out of the cast gems? Yes. Yes, so I if, had that once. That was super cool. So if you have those lying around, they, they create lightning strikes. So it, it kind of ruins it if you get your greater recall from Hermes, but um, that was a great duo and really got me a lot further than I deserved to in that run. I don't know if you want me to talk about like the kind of build that got me through the fight with Hades or if you yeah, want Yeah, let's let's talk about that a little bit. How did you first clear him? So, I was stuck with the bow using that strategy that I was talking about, which is my least favorite weapon. I hate the bow. Hate the bow. I hate the bow. Okay. And I hate the rail almost as much as I hate the bow. I've only played the rail I think once. The rail yeah. was the weapon that got me to Hades for the first time, but I still hate it. Yeah. Anyways, I was getting dealt just such crap uh, <laughs> with the bow. Like I went in, whenever I get the bow, I go in with Artemis's, you know, force encounter charm. And I was hoping to get true shot. I didn't get true shot. And so what I started doing was I started focusing on building damage for my special because it's the only part of the bow that I can even tolerate. I hate using the standard attack more oh, than anything. Interesting. I'm the complete inverse. I do not like using the special. The, the spread shot, right? Yeah, the yeah. Spread. I don't like using the special, and I like using the attack. I don't like leaving wow. myself open. Okay. So I'm a, sure. I'm a quick movement type yeah, of player. That's fair. I prefer to be up close. Um, so I was getting like stuff that upped critical damage and stuff from Ares that upped normal damage and stuff from um, Aphrodite that caused weak and so what I ended up doing was putting myself in a situation where my special was dealing like hundreds per tiny little arrow. So if I could get up close to someone, I could, you know, get behind them, backstab damage, critical damage, you Dang. know, and hit them for like four or five arrows. Very cool. And uh, getting Athena's aid to create um, prolonged invincibility against Hades is what saved me. So yeah. I was able to turn that on. And just stand right next to him and shoot him yep. over and over. Um, yeah, Athena's aid's probably my most picked um, call. I think mm -hmm. it's called. Yeah, they're called calls. Um, yeah, so my first time I got close to beating Hades without actually beating him was with the bow. And I was surprised. I was shocked because like I wasn't doing very well up to that point. Um, my first time I cleared, I think it was with the shield, actually. Okay. Um, I had a bunch of like special... Um, attack damage and like I was just throwing the shield around um, with all kinds of effects but some of my favorite combinations I've had in runs there was one with the spear where I had a critical hit chance on the special so the spear the special is you can throw the spear across the room mm -hmm. and then you can have it come back to you um, so I had a critical hit chance with that spear I also had a Daedalus enchantment called a chain skewer which allowed it to chain hit up to seven enemies and each time it would add damage it, was, it would like add plus 30 percent damage or something so the last one's getting the most i love that so much and then also i had weak inflicting from my attacks and casts so with my you know square attack and with my circle attack inflicting weak and then i got this duo 
uh, I got the duo you talked about, Heartrend, which increased critical damage to weak foes. So I was weakening them with attack and cast, then throwing my special, and it would proc the the critical hit, and it would just exponentially increase how much. So I was just clearing rooms. Another one is Blade. I was using just like the first blade that you use. Um, I had an enchantment called Flurry Slash, which is where you just hold the attack button and you're attacking really quickly. And then I had from Artemis, every attack having a chance to critical. I also had an ability called Cursed Slash, which reduced my health by 60%. So I was really super low on health. But every time I hit with my attack, it recovered two health. And then also I had a duo called Stubborn Roots, which recovered my health constantly while I had no um, revivals left. There are revivals called Death Defiance. While you have none of those left, you're recovering like one every like 0.8 seconds. That's some great synergy right there. It was super great. So I was standing right next to Hades for that run and I was just holding attack and (laughs) he kept hitting me and I didn't care because like I just would recover health faster than he could hit me for damage. Um, Let's see. Then I had a build with a shield where I could deflect on my attack. I had a plus 500% damage when I would use the bull rush, which is when you hold in the attack and then you like charge forward. But I also had an ability that turned my rush into just a pierced shot where I didn't rush forward, but it shot a shot from where I was standing. I got to stay stationary. Um, And then I also was impervious to being stunned from a duo called Unshakable Metal. So I was just really just blocking all these attacks. Durable. Very durable. Yeah. I was just holding my um, bull rush button, blocking all kinds of attacks from like Hades and other bosses, and then just like letting it go and piercing them. And then probably my favorite, I got this combination last night. I was using the bow. I focused on Festive Fog from Dionysus, which mm-hmm. is where you throw a cast, it creates a pool of fog, and it damages enemies in it. I think I had that on my my successful run as well. Yep. And I had two duo abilities that I got. One was from Zeus called Scintillating Feast. One was from Demeter called Ice Wine. And in conjunction with Festive Feast, they were adding lightning and chill damage in every Festive Fog I would cast. So it was just all this area of effect damage that I was doing. I also got um, a fourth cast from a chaos room. Mm. I ran into chaos. I love getting extra casts. Yes. I'm, I'm the kind of person that once I enter a chamber, cast, 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 cast. Yes. It's the first thing I do. So I had four casts because I ran into chaos. I was throwing all these festive feasts around and just covering the floor. And I didn't have to really do anything. It was super sweet. It was super awesome. So yeah, uh, you also asked me if we could quickly talk about achievements slash trophies. Yes. And I also, maybe before we do that, I want to know what your favorite weapon to use is and what your least favorite is. Well, at, in my first, like maybe five hours with the game, I would have told you shield. Um, it constantly changes. I think right now it's between the spear and the bow. Uh, oh man, I don't know. I don't know. The shield was super fun too. I don't know. I'll go with bow for now. Okay. My favorite is the spear. Okay. Um, I think it has the best uh, dash attack, which is my my default like instinct. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes so, sometimes you're just button mashing. Yeah. If you get the right combination, you just you know spam dash and attack dash and attack, and that's all you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think knuckles are probably my second favorite. Actually. Okay. Um, I need to try those more. 
I think if I think I read online if you use Knuckles with um, that Minotaur mm-hmm. character, he'll start to talk to you more. Is that yep. why you like talking to him, or you like no, running into totally him? No, totally unrelated. Okay, I didn't learn that until uh, like an hour ago. So. Okay. Um, anyways, achievements. I want to talk about achievements because one of the things that I noticed maybe about two hours in was that I think I'd only gotten one trophy. So it's not really rewarding you. It's for, with for the a trophy lot. system. the The rollout of rewards is very slow, and I think at this point, having spent twenty plus hours on it, I think I only have maybe seven or eight, maybe nine trophies. Um. So yeah, it's it's scant. I agree with you. Yeah, I agree with you. And, it's, and it's, Transistor was the same way a little bit too. Yeah, I took a look at the trophy list too, and I think what they're trying to do is give you a lot of excuses to try all the different weapons, all the different systems. Just go out of your way to do things that you wouldn't have done. I think that's usually what makes a, a great trophy list, but I don't think they have enough of the quick hit, you know, first five to 10 hour trophies exactly. to like reward you. You really have to work for almost all of them. Um, even, you know, beating your first run is is only like a bronze or a silver or something like that. Yeah, just just a couple more like easy bronze for like the first time you exchange something with the clerk, whatever his name is. Sure. You know, so, some of those smaller things. Yeah. Um, yeah, and a lot of them are like do a specific task like so many times. Mm-hmm. Some of them are easy, like pet Cerberus fifteen right. times. That was like know, the like, that was the first one I got. Yeah. Like I had to spend the you know ten minutes to pet him ten times. Right. Um, all right. Well, this last like fifteen twenty minutes has just been us nerding out about yeah. like very specific things about the game. But um, were there any other points you wanted to bring up about this game? Uh, music's awesome. Um, Yes. Ashley Barrett returns from Transistor and Bastion, yes. as I found out. Yes, I'm uh, glad you mentioned her name in your Transistor review. Yep. Um, and then Darren Korb uh, composed the score, and and I found this out tonight myself, voiced Zagreus and killed it. Yes. I think he did such an amazing performance, made Zagreus so likable, and mm-hmm. I kind of hate Darren Korb for just being so <laughs> talented now. Yes, very multi-talented. Um, yeah, again, the, the entire voice cast is awesome to listen to. I, I think the game's a joy. It's a treat from top to bottom. It's one that I will, you know, beyond this show, I will be playing it in the coming months when I have time, like between preparing for future episodes of underplayed, like when I'm not working on a secret game or a featured review game, I will probably be diving back into Hades, eventually completing it, at least getting all the trophies. I know it's going to be an endeavor to do yeah. that, but um, I'm actually energized by that prospect. I'm in the same game. boat. Um, I'm, I've actually thought about it today when I haven't been playing it. I might do a couple more runs tonight when I get home. Um, it's that fun. Okay, let's end it there. That's our review of Hades. You can play it on Nintendo Switch, PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Series X and S, PC, and Mac. Disco rated it a 9.5. I rated it a 9. That's the end of this episode of Underplayed. You can find more of our episodes at kzum.org underplayed. Our music was composed by Jack Rodenberg, and our art comes from Onimochi. My name's Bo Po, and you can find me on Twitter at Bo Po. That's B-O underscore P-O. And I'm Disco Cola. You can find me on Twitter and doing dozens more Hades runs on Twitch at Disco Cola. 
Next time, we will have two more secret games for you, and our featured review will cover Carrion, a reverse horror game developed by Phobia Game Studio. Until then, everyone, keep on playing.